The Clueless Joe podcast is recorded at DBAT Nashville and brought to you by Rawlings, the nation's leading baseball and softball training academy franchise and the world's top baseball and softball brand have teamed up to create an exciting new partnership. DBAT, powered by Rawlings, the official ball, glove, and helmet of Major League Baseball. To learn more, go to Rawlings.com or visit your local DBAT. Say hey, baseball fans. Welcome once again to the Clueless Joe podcast, powered by Rawlings, episode 38. Coming to you from DBAT Nashville, the premier baseball and softball batting cage and training academy in Middle Tennessee. Developing beliefs, attitudes, and traditions, music city style. You can follow us on social media across all platforms at DBAT Nashville. I'm your host, John Christ. I am joined by my co-hosts, Currently holding the number one pick in the DBAT Nashville Fantasy Football Draft, Zach Schreitenthal. Come over here. Get over here, Kelsey. He's going oh, to take Travis Kelsey I've had a number tough one week overall. talking yeah. to that this right. week. So it's, yeah, perfect. Number seven pick, Ryan Gaynor. Brutal pick. Not happy about it. Brutal pick. Stuck in no man's land. Brutal. And number four pick overall, Sam Bragg. Definitely my year. Good spot. Definitely might. Feels like Bijan Robinson. It just <laughs> feels like it's going to go that way. Well, if I don't get Jamar Chase, it will be. <laughs> Coming up later in the show, we'll be joined by Caleb Gregory. He's one of the most reputable CrossFit coaches in Nashville. Plus, he has a boy who's about to start playing travel ball. So, we'll talk to him about fitness, especially as it pertains to baseball. But we begin with the gimmicks and gadgets that you can find in a typical pro shop these days, ours not excluded. One of the knocks on baseball as a youth sport is that it can be incredibly expensive for parents. Gloves are two and three hundred dollars, if not more expensive. Bats are three and four hundred dollars, if not more expensive. Helmets, cleats, batting gloves, it can really add up fast. But what about some of the extra expenses you could have for the toys and trinkets you see out there? Do you really need a tee at home for hitting? Do you need one of those return nets for throwing? There are specialty bats and specialty training gloves of every size and shape. Wrist guards, elbow guards, shin guards. The list just goes on and on. And the ideas never stop. So let's start here. What's your favorite training device that actually does work and produce results? And perhaps more importantly for the parents out there, what's a waste of money? Doesn't do anything? Uh, my favorite training device is the one-hand bat. Um, the one-handed trainer bat. The one-handed trainer bat. Big fan. I think that has helped me as far as my pre-game, pre-practice routine, just working on hand path. Um, yeah, tell us it, exactly what it is and what it's designed to do. So it's a shorter bat that uh, obviously you use one hand with. Um, the way I used it was I would have my hips facing um, or like – my right shoulder facing the pitcher um, and have them toss it basically right into my, my right hip. And for my top, for my bottom hand work, that's how I would set up. And basically I would just work on pulling my, my bottom hand across my chest and hitting it before it hits my, my front hip or my right hip um, into the net. 
Um, so I wouldn't be trying to hit it back at him, trying to pull it and just get that muscle memory to. It's less about the result. It's more about yeah. learning the path. Yeah, the just just over exaggerating my my bottom hand pulling down across my chest through the zone. Um, and then I would flip that and I would have my chest facing the pitcher and he would throw it either into my my back hip or just on my instep of my back foot with my top hand, just working on being strong through the zone and trying to square it up. Not rolling over and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah squaring it up into the net. Okay. Ryan, what was your one of your favorites? Well, just to piggyback on Zach's, that's pretty much the only training tool that I'll use in my lessons too is the one-handed trainer. I think that it's really beneficial. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of things hitting-wise that are not beneficial, but – there's that a lot of different one. things I think you can do with those as well. Just Yeah, there is. I mean, you can use it off a tee. You can front toss with it, side toss. Side toss can get a little tricky yeah. just for all the dads out there. <laughs> Make sure that your kid has a decent path to the ball or else he'll hit one off the end of the bat into an area you don't want to be hit. <laughs> Speaking from experience. Um, I'll go to the glove. I really liked the small catching, catching glove trainer. Mm-hmm. I thought if you could catch a ball with that, it's going to make a bigger glove that much easier. Again, not everybody knows what we know. It's essentially a catcher's glove, but it's smaller. exactly how it sounds. Just yeah, a lot it's smaller. just a miniature catching glove that really emphasizes catching it in the pocket because if you can catch with that, then it's pretty much the size of a pocket mm-hmm. of a normal catcher's glove. So if you can catch it in that, you can catch it with a normal glove. No really rhyme or reason to it. Just it really helped me in my hand-eye coronation. Nice. Sam, what do you like? I mean, this this is pretty easy. I'm just going to go with weighted balls. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, they do a good job. <clears throat> Arm strengthening, they 100% add to velocity. Now, that being said, I see a lot of people just come in here and start chucking them. They also add a lot of stress on your shoulder and elbow. So if you don't have, like, you know, a quality throwing motion and you're throwing these, you're probably going to get hurt eventually down the line. They can also clean up arm action, which is good. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, the name of the game today is throwing the ball hard. It's easy to teach someone how to pitch. It's hard to teach someone how to throw gas. Now, a baseball by design is five ounces, yeah. but you can find these balls that weigh six, eight, 12, yeah, 20 our, ounces. Our heaviest one is, for throwing-wise, is like just under a pound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know. I mean, it just, I it, even it just helps people. I mean, like if you're using the heavier ones too, and it, I mean, obviously, like you'd rather have a clean throwing action or arm action, but I mean, it just helps you move your arm faster using heavier balls. So when you get an actual baseball, you know, you're letting that thing fly. Is is that a again? I've I've never used weighted balls to warm up, just in general. But does that have? Is it kind of like the effect of using a bat weight? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Or like way, yeah, yeah, Chapman throws yeah. a one-pound ball and then gets out there and rips. Right, <laughs> which three but like normal for, for parents at home, Araldus Chapman is six <laughs> five, yeah, right, right, two seventy right, right, of right. pure muscle. Right. He's an Olympic power lifter. He can do that. Okay, Sammy, let me ask. Yeah, weighted balls mm-hmm. can they be used by a position player? Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. They're kind of used by everyone. Now. Well, like, honestly, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. the catchers, right. we used them yeah. because we worked out with the pitchers and did the med balls and all that jazz. Yeah. But like a shortstop, 
Yeah. Should he be doing a med or weighted ball routine, yeah, maybe? Can, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of high school kids who come in here of that age, and they just want to grab the heavy ball and sling it against right. the wall as hard as they can. But when you see guys like Sam or Jake in a lesson, explain some of the things that you're doing. We got them on a knee, and they're facing away from the wall, and they're throwing over the shoulder, things well, like that. Honestly, like, well, one drill is the rocker drill, which you're you're basically just working on sitting into your back leg and then pushing forward to, you know, incorporate your legs into it as well. But the reverse throw where you're on your knee and you're taking it backwards to the wall, and then the other one's a pivot pick. Both of those are working on your hips and your shoulders, like the separation of them when throwing them, which is something you need as a pitcher to throw hard. Yeah. You have to have good hip-shoulder separation, which is where they're not aligned when you land right because the this is where an audio podcast gets really tough yeah. <laughs> but the one that you're throwing behind mm-hmm. you want to rotate back you with up, the ball you, you want correct? your upper body to rotate you want your legs to stay to still. stay there stay grounded yeah. okay yeah we're not cool. necessarily advocating for a kid to get out on the mound from 60 feet six inches and throw a one pound weighted ball no no yeah. no no yeah. no no not at all. but play honestly some, play some I mean, catch and but honestly, the hip-shoulder separation, now, if you're bad at that, there's places you can go to work on it. But it's very rare that you see someone that's just, like, super bad. Like, even kids that are just yeah. starting out pitching, like, they just have it. Right. People just have it. Yeah. So, so we have we have the weighted balls that you use that are not seen. They're just yeah squishy little weighted balls. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have the other balls with seams that are weighted. I mean, how often – would you suggest or did you ever play catch with a weighted ball? I never actually played catch with one. I just did it before right. I, before I did like right. a throwing routine. I mean, obviously the older they get, the more your arm can take. So I mean, as like a kid, like I have, you know, I have 10-year-olds doing it. I'd say once a week honestly is fine for them, and then as they keep getting older, you just start increasing it more. Now, when they're not here on a Saturday, if, you know, doing a lesson and if they have them at home and they know what they're doing and they want to do them, that's fine, but yeah, we had an independent league guy it. who would work out here. You remember Sam, yeah. Sam Burton, um, and he's pitched for a while and gotten paid to do it, and weighted balls was one of his things. And he would have a six or a seven or an eight-ounce baseball, a legit leather scene baseball, and that was part of his warm-up process before getting on the bump and getting back to the five-ounce ball. I mean, just honestly, for a lot of guys, like I know like my buddy Finney, he doesn't do like any of the programs or anything. He just has the, the green and the black driveline ball, which are the heaviest. He just throws them up against the wall until his arm feels loose and then just hops on the mound <laughs> starts letting that <laughs> nice. thing fly. For a lot of people, it's like yeah, that, though. I know yeah, a lot exactly. of guys that own all the driveline balls. They have the programs. They don't do it. They just throw these balls so their arm yeah. feels right, looser. Right, yeah. yeah. And that's – is that – I feel like that would be the main goal of the weighted balls. Just to yeah, get I mean, you're eventually going to get to a point in your age where there's nothing really you can do yeah, to throw exactly. harder. Yeah. Like, you kind of just are what you But are. with the younger kids, you are using it to obviously – it's it helps proper shoulder. throwing mechanics. Yeah, and it can clean up your arm action, yeah, build yeah. arm strength. I think my answer is just the T. I mean, there's still so many parents out there who don't understand that the T isn't just for T-ball. It, it's incredible how we get that conversation here periodically where, oh, my boy has progressed past that. He doesn't hit off the T anymore. That That's not a thing. I think we had somebody recent. Yeah, fairly recently. Yeah. Trying to say, no, don't waste your time. Yeah. I don't want to pay lesson time for my kid He's to hit already, off a T. Yeah. Throw to him. He's advanced. No, that's not the case. But yeah. every single baseball player can hit off the tee in the backyard. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. You're absolutely right. Good talk, I, Russ. We, well, we uh, we have discussed this on the pod already, and I get very animated about it. It's mm-hmm. wild to me that people think that they're better than the T. Okay. So now we've got a handful of things we really like. What are some of the things that we definitely don't like? Hmm. On it. I don't. I don't really care for the bands as a pitcher. Uh, I was gonna ask. I, don't think I was thinking of other pitching. I mean, if you just know how tools. to stretch, like what? What? What are the bands gonna do? I, I will say there are some. I guess there are some shoulder mobility stuff I, that you can do with them. I but, use bands in the heavy and the heaviest driveline ball when my when, like after I pitch, like in a dollies game. If my shoulder is super sore, I do that just right. to break everything yeah, up, and which is good. But like getting loose, I've I've never used bands. I just wind it up do some I saw, stretches i saw a video the other day of somebody showing three different bands to do on like the jaeger bands that i don't really know if it helps or not but he was saying it like is helping your arm move in a different path to protect your elbow and i i have to look more into that because that doesn't make <laughs> yeah. any sense to me <laughs> yeah. I, feel, I feel like j bands are a part of every clubhouse in america these days they are i mean i i, I had them yeah we have them here i don't really feel like they do like I mean, there were obviously days where when I was warming up in the bullpen and I knew when I was going to throw and I did like a band routine and did all that. But then there were also days where I wasn't expecting to throw. They're like, Brad, get hot. I don't have time to sit there and go through my whole band routine. I get up there and it didn't change anything. Like still through the same speed. It's not like it did anything like monumental to my velocity. Yeah. I'd never used the, uh, the Camwood. That was my next one. Camwood bats. (laughs) I know. I think. You mentioned that earlier, but I mean, I understand what the goal and what they're trying to do. It's, a, I don't. it's basically, I, don't I mean, it's, it's a handle loaded bat that the D bat version I, is called the perfect path. Yeah. Here that I show. guess is supposed to make you be strong with your, I think I the idea, honestly, I don't even know. The idea is that you're you're displacing the weight of the bat. You're exaggerating the weight near the hands, which can help you develop the path of keeping your hands inside the ball. I think that's how it's designed. Yeah. Tony Gwynn was a huge advocate, the late Tony Gwynn. I think he was one of the original. Um, he was part of the science behind the perfect path. I'm sorry, not the perfect, but the Camwood bat. And again, the D-bat version is called the perfect path. And I've used him in our practices here and there. Have I seen data suggesting that it worked? Maybe, maybe not. But I understand the concept. I don't know if there's you know proven results necessarily, but I understand the concept. The the dumbest tool I've ever seen is what looks like there's like two cuffs, um, look like handcuffs, two cuffs on each side of this like pole or this rod that for hitters you stick on pretty much both of your biceps and it's supposed to keep your hands or your arms at the desired distance through your swing. And it looks like just some like shackles on your arms. Okay. And it, we had one guy use them in, in college and I just couldn't fathom. I was like, oh, just the, I tried it once and I was like, this is so uncomfortable. This is Isn't like that distance the- theoretically going to be different for every single hitter. I mean, I think you could like adjust it, but okay. still it was like, so restricting and i i mean it's obviously just a training tool but it was it felt like one of those so is, is it like your body's doing the swing more than your hands are moving no it's mainly it's just supposed to like for your arms to stay this in the same in the same uh, yeah okay i uh, i see what you're can you get extension 
with it? Like, can you, you can extend get through the wall? Yeah, you, I think you can get extension Very through it. I'm confused by this tool. It's just really, I guess it's so that they don't separate very much uh, again i don't yeah, know when i saw it well, i was like sounds stupid <laughs> yeah the guy that used it i think he was it was more of a he used it more of a like a half swing type thing it's like he would get to the contact and then finish just out in front but never like full swing yeah. with it um so yeah that was weird i don't really i don't i don't think i've ever the little league world using. series is going on right now in williamsport and we see lots of 11 and 12 year olds head-to-toe body armor. They've got the elbow guards. They've got the shin guards. They've got the wrist guards. I mean, we had a nine-year-old on our team this past season had a, had an elbow guard. How do we feel about that for youth players? I'm not going to say anything about it because last time I got plunked after making a comment about <laughs> not wearing any of that. But I, don't, I honestly, I'm, I think that I'm indifferent stupid. on it. If they want to Does a ten-year-old really need protection on his elbow from a forty-one-mile-an-hour fastball? Probably. I don't know if they got cry, yeah. if they got yeah. that Shohei from Chinese Taipei throwing on yeah. the mound. Yeah, that, probably I, that kid's throwing seventy-nine. There is a there is a direct correlation to people that look good tend to yeah. play above their potential. I look like a ball player. Is, play like a ball player. That's one yeah. of my credos. I, I don't. I mean, yeah, I don't have anything against uh, the face guards and the. Like an elbow guards. Now. I wore the elbow guard in high school because I bat left-handed. And I didn't yeah, I mean yeah, that's, that's exactly why I, I wore the the shin Evo that's shield fair. because I thought it looked cool. <laughs> I I started where I start in college. Spade a spade, huh? There it spade is. Is. In spade. college, I started with. I was like, oh, I got a free shin guard. Let me, yeah, let me take one. It does look cool. Yeah, it and does. I I started wearing it, and I I didn't really like it, and then until my junior year, I fouled one. Uh off a machine scrimmage i fouled one off my shin i was like yeah I'm never off of a machine machine scrimmage Brutal. i never wore one yeah. i never wore yeah. one what's it feel like to run with it do you notice it at all no no Super I, I i took the i took the toe flap off of both of both of mine i had a mm -hmm. nike and an evo shield one and i always took the toe flap off so i never felt it so we don't think you're slower potentially legging out a double looking like robocop with all that gear on no okay and when I wore long pants, I always put it underneath my pants and not over the top. So I just kind of dude, felt more like you were swaggy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What right, about the sliding mitts? How do we feel oh, about the sliding I mitts? Oh, I forgot about that. Yes, we're starting to see the oven mitts. Oven mitts. Yeah. What do we think? What the we oven think? mitts for think? the Little League kids who are not allowed to slide head first, but if they're still a, wearing oven mitts. Do you have an oven mitt in Sandlot? What are we doing? <laughs> it sounds like that has happened. I, I have seen an oven mitt in Sandlot. Yeah, those ones. Those one. ones really bum me out. The the oven mitts really. Bum what me is out. the point of those? This protecting against. I really do think it's just protecting your hands. Jamming right? your fingers, jamming, sliding into jamming second your fingers, base. getting cleated like. <laughs> cleat ain't stopping. That thing ain't stopping a cleat. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, it's gonna suck regardless. I, I, how how I think hard is ridiculous. it? Is it like is it's it like, like foam? Ever the. So metal spike, uh, like expression. Yeah. It's not just, just; it might not break the skin. It's gonna yeah. hurt. But it's, how does it stop from jamming your finger? Would it? What if you went into the base still? Would it still take your fingers back? I don't understand the point of them. I think it's supposed to. It, 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 <laughs> it's because it, you get that extra inch to slide into the base. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think yeah. it like it hits the sleeve and then it just goes over the bag instead of into the bag. I see. Does it get you to the base quicker too? Is that maybe part of nope. the reason? No. It could. It could. It do gives it. you that extra inch. That's John. my thing. Is like, how do they know where your fingers sliding are? Sliding is also glove. not uniform. I mean, you might be wearing the oven mitt on your left hand, but the way a play breaks down, you might need to slide in there with your right. 
So what's the point of having the other men on your left? I, I think they're silly. I think they're preposterous. Now, when Evo Shield came out with the, the sliding wrist guard, I was a big fan of that because I, for some reason. The what? The, like the wrist guard. They, they had a wrist that. guard for sliding? you never seen that? It was like one of their first. Yeah, they, they borrowed it from a skate park. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but like, for some reason, I always jam. Like, my wrist would always jam when I huh. drop my hand down to slide. I just don't. I Never happened to all me. All of these things. It's like, what if you just didn't do, what if you just didn't sprain your wrist when you slid? What if you just like were better at sliding? You know, know what I mean? That's how I look at this kind of stuff. Like, were you, I never even thought about like jamming my finger or spraining my wrist when I slid. Why can't you just do it better? I, guess I also grew up in a time where if you jammed your finger and you slid into a base, you just... Yeah, you, you just, just I mean, yeah, it was just yeah. you just were like it. that sucked. You, you yeah. taped it up, <laughs> or you right. got spiked, and it's like, yeah. oh man, dang it, that, that really stinks. Yeah. Let yeah. me let me run the the bases again. Yeah, still, I'm not yeah, done. right. Yeah. All right, what's out there in the baseball market that could be just a flat out ripoff? Maybe they got a really good Instagram feed, and it looks like a cool thing, but you know what? It's it doesn't work. This at is all. save your. We life. should talk about the fighting fight necklaces. Bit. Yeah, the fight <laughs> necklaces are good. Yeah. What now? What the you don't remember those? They still sell them. I know they yeah. still sell. Yeah, they're like the necklaces that are supposed to what, like Chris help with balance. your balance, right? Balance, oh, and stre- yeah, and yeah, stress yeah, relief. Yeah. I think we talked about it before. Yeah, already, yeah. I'm pretty sure. All yeah. the copper balance stuff. That's okay. the name of our fantasy uh, football league. Remember, the remember the fightings. Well done. Yeah, Zach's, well done. Zach's idea. Give him all the credit. Okay. Um, what do we think about the pro hitters? The thumb thing. I'm glad you brought that up. What do we think? We sell them in the pro we shop. We for them. We you, against them. Sam wears them. I use them. Do you use it? Yeah. What do you use it for? Just the vibration? Yeah. I mean, uh, there's, yeah. Do you I know mean, what it says on the back of the thing? Yeah, I did. Well, that I was it, here. Yeah, does not help crazy. vibration? That no, it, no, no that it's it, like something crazy. doesn't say anything about like Proper absorbing vibration. Path. Yeah. Yeah, it's like quicker hands. It, yeah, it's for like bat path, like hand path. <laughs> I hadn't That's even, not why people are buying them. I hadn't even read the back of it when the customer read it to me. I think we both laughed like. No, it does not do either of those I mean, things. I, just wear I strictly thought it was to absorb. This just hurts. I, so yeah, I, I initially thought it was for to have proper like alignment on your that all, like, on I your think, top hand. I think it is that is a part lines of it your too. knuckles up or whatever. Yeah, it, is. it just it just gets you the the right grip on the bat. Yeah, not yeah. choking the chicken. Yeah, you can also like, just look at your knuckles. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, it, it, right. yeah, that's another one. That but I now they have it, like, like the the thumpers that are a little bit more. Like dynamically molded onto your dude. I I think mm-hmm. I saw one that literally goes around your thumb and then it comes like all the way up the wrist or really? something. Like it's it's getting ridiculous. I have I have tried it. I mean, full disclosure, we sell them in the pro shop. I don't know. Didn't do anything for me. I did. I didn't notice any benefit from it at all. And I that, really do think that as far as the vibration goes, I think that it does help. It does yeah, not okay. hurt that section. But it doesn't say anything about that. Yeah. Yeah. On the advertisement. Yeah. That's not what it's meant for. But that is what I tell people. Well, now also you have, besides like the completely extended elbow and shin guards, you have the hand guards mm-hmm. that can go down like past your wrist. Shohei well, wears one. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah. How much time we got on this segment, John? I'm about to get it. Can I get rolling on something real quick? You may. Okay. By all means. What? This has happened a lot recently and for all of us. The vibration of the bat. 
hey, this is hurting my kid's hand. Dude, have no, we talked about this Have we talked about this Have we talked about this on the podcast? No, no, I don't care. Maybe like there's only been one. There's only been one situation that stuck out to me out of all this because like you hear, I hear it so much. Was when it was that Saturday I came in to see you. Yeah. And family comes in. The kids like, oh, they have the hype fire. So like, yeah. kid gets a demo, goes back there and hits. Mom comes out and was like, yeah, I don't know what it is with that bad. It's not very good. She was like, it's just like rattling his hands really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Sweet, you sh- sweetheart, you should have yeah. sold him a new pair of batting gloves Dude, and a pro hitter. Just yeah, I mean, he did sell. Blat- he did sell batting gloves. Too. Yeah, <laughs> blatantly, I'll tell. I've started telling him like. It's unavoidable unless you hit the ball oh, in the barrel. Hit the ball yeah. in the barrel. Just, just hit the ball in the barrel. Yeah. One piece, two piece, it does not matter. But you'll have those shy seven-year-olds where they wave the bat through the zone, and the second it makes contact with the bat, they sort of get loose with their hands and stop. And, of course, the bat's going to rattle. It's what it's going to do. Oh, there is nothing worse than a one-piece Batting gloves are not going to help you. Yeah. Just hey, it's really, it's really <laughs> stinging his hands. Anything mm-hmm. that we can do for that. Well, or you can get some batting can gloves. Get, get, get some batting gloves. We can get him into basketball. Get a pro hitter. <laughs> That's what get him an elbow guard. Get him a shin guard. We can get you an hour lesson guard. with Coach Sam. And we'll, we'll get you a month of lessons. We'll see if he's ever That's tried a good water polo. Uh, That's a good answer. Sorry. It's just, it's been happening more and more often. <laughs> and I just, I laugh every single time. All right. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're going to have a conversation with CrossFit expert, Caleb Gregory. The Clueless Joe podcast is brought to you by Tanner Tees. The best batting tees for your baseball or softball player. Made with premium, durable materials and assembled in Sarasota, Florida. Invented by Joe Tanner in 1988 and perfected over 30 years, every Tanner tee represents the very best in the business. Here at DBAT Nashville, we feature the heavy model in all of our cages and also sell them in our pro shop. It's a tough, professional quality weighted batting tee with a flexible, hand-rolled rubber cone that's perfect for baseball, fast pitch and slow pitch. This heavy-duty batting tee is designed with a 10-pound, claw-style base for extra stability on any hitting surface. Sturdy enough to stay upright through the occasional mishit. To learn more, go to TannerTees.com or visit your local D-Bat. Please welcome Caleb Gregory, originally from Maryville in East Tennessee. Caleb was on the wrestling team at the University of the Cumberlands in Williamsburg, Kentucky. Unfortunately, a knee injury derailed his career there, but... In an attempt to recreate the spirit of competition on the mat, he started doing CrossFit way back in 2005, eventually qualified for regionals as both an individual and a team competitor. I think it was 2017 you opened East Nashville, is that correct? Correct. 2017, he opened CrossFit East Nashville, one of the premier gyms of its kind in America. As a matter of fact, the six-time CrossFit Games women's champion, Tia Claire Toomey, she trains there herself. He recently sold the gym because someone made him an offer he just couldn't refuse. Now he gets to spend even more time with his young son, Amos, who's one of the newest members of the Redbirds, 10U, as a matter of fact. Caleb, great to see you. Good to be here, man. Yeah. So for the uninitiated, CrossFit is defined as constantly varied functional movements performed at high intensity. So let's go through that step by step. Sure. Constantly varied. Yeah, so when I think about constantly varied, I think um, an opportunity to move in multiple planes with multiple expressions of power and force. So uh, whether that's low load, high repetition, or high load, low to moderate repetition, uh, we're pushing, we're pulling, we're jumping, 
we're running, and, and each of those uh, movement patterns express themselves in various ways as well. So, right, for pulling, that could be uh, a ring row or a pull-up. That could also be uh, a bent-over row. Some would consider a kettlebell swing a pull because of the lat activation in it. Um, so anything that's like a, a pulling archetype, a deadlift off the floor, a, a deadlift off the floor, which would also serve as a hinge. Mm-hmm. So you've got lots of things that also kind of come together for multiple movement patterns in one movement, but variation is an opportunity to create, uh, multiple levels of adaptation. And that's a word that we'll probably come back to a lot today is an opportunity at multiple levels or varied adaptations for a multitude, a litany of movements that you would kind of find in the natural world. We just apply those to movements typically inside of a gym. Okay. So you mentioned natural world, which goes into functional movements, which is part two of that mantra. Yep. So functional movements for uh, all intents and purposes would be do you do this movement pattern in typical life? Okay. So picking up your screaming kid off the floor, (laughs) right? That'd be a deadlift or grabbing a box out of a car or out of a pickup truck. That would be holding something and lowering it to the floor, putting something heavy over your head onto a shelf or picking yourself up off the floor, right? That's a pulling movement or pressing yourself off the floor. That's a pushing movement. Uh, This could be as simple as getting on and off a toilet. Correct. That's mm-hmm. a squat. So mm-hmm. sitting down and standing up. Um, but when you when you think about the functional application of movement, does it mimic a motor pattern that we would do in typical life? High intensity. This is what a lot of people see just when it comes colloquially to CrossFit, yep. just the people going bananas 100 miles an hour. Yes, which is one variation of intensity. Mm-hmm. So if you want to think about intensity, I like to put it in kind of two frameworks. One is load. The heavier the load, the higher the intensity. We're just not doing that for multiple repetitions. So if we're going for a three rep max deadlift, okay, or a three rep max bench press, the intensity is high because the load is high. So we check the intensity box through load. We can also check the intensity box with work performed in X amount of time. If we create a benchmark out of that, so we every three months we reference the same pull-ups and air squats, mm-hmm. just pulling those out randomly. Or how many push-ups can you do how in a minute? How many push-ups can you do in a minute? That's a very good reference point. Mm-hmm. If we get faster, our intensity has become higher, and it's work done in X amount of time. If the time reduces, we've increased our level of intensity. Okay, so let's move on to Greg Glassman, who is essentially the founder of CrossFit. I know he had kind of a spectacular exit from the brand. We don't need to cover that here. But he had 100 words how he described fitness. And if you're into CrossFit, it's very common to see this 100 words on a wall somewhere framed. But it is, quote, eat meat and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, and no sugar. Keep intake to levels that will support exercise but not body fat. Practice and train major lifts, deadlift, clean, squat, presses, clean and jerk, and snatch. Similarly, master the basics of gymnastics, pull-ups, dips, rope climb, push-ups, sit-ups, presses to handstand, pirouettes, flips, splits, and holds. 
bike, run, swim, row, etc. hard and fast. Five days or six days per week. Mix these elements in as many combinations and patterns as creativity will allow. Routine is the enemy. Keep workouts short and intense. Regularly learn and play new sports. Yep. Unquote. Is this truly the Rosetta Stone for being physically fit? I would have to agree, yes. I think that um, for being generally adapted for physical fitness, yes. Um, if you think through everything in that 100, fitness in 100 words, mm -hmm. okay, which is what that's called, uh, it's a very practical way to eat, to supply energy, but maintain healthy body composition. It's a practical way to move your body toward functional movement patterns. So whether that's learning to move objects external to your body, which everyone does in some capacity every single day, unless they're completely infirmed, <laughs> or uh, learning to move your body through time and space. Again, something someone does every single day uh, and they will continue to do for the rest of their life to some capacity. And then thinking about how does that apply to uh, learning new challenges, okay? You can replace that word new sports with new challenges. Mm -hmm. And I like that idea of new challenges because not everybody's going to want the, not everybody's going to have the capacity to go sign up for a recreational softball league or to do, I mean, let's take triathlon, for example. Triathlons are awesome. Triathlons are also very expensive, right tough but, to train yes tough to train for they take lots of time but finding something that creates a new challenge that you've never done or have done at some small capacity and using your general adaptation to move into that sport which is where we may get into some specifics uh about training adaptation and again that could be as simple as a retiree who gets a dog Absolutely. and they need to walk that dog. Yep, that and maybe dog. there's some rugged terrain that they want to try. 100%. I mean, you walk my neighborhood, you've got hills, you've got curbs, you've got teenagers driving too fast, all those fun things that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that are new challenges because you have this new dog. So, Or, or being a parent, right? Sure. The, the differences between having a small infant who, you know, you get really good at lifting legs and wiping dirty butts to... Uh, now having a 10-year-old who wants to go out and throw and hit in the backyard every day. Mm -hmm. So for the purposes of our podcast, yep. needless to say, our audience only truly cares about baseball and softball. So I wanted that runway to talk about CrossFit in general. And baseball, softball, largely skill-driven sports. It's less about pure athleticism. If you think about hitting a baseball, a lot of people say it's the single hardest thing to do in all of sports. Um, there's a lot more that goes into it than just being big and fast and strong. So long-winded way of me asking if you believe CrossFit is a smart training regimen for baseball and softball players. Uh, short answer, yes. Longer answer, within certain constraints. Okay, so I think elaborate, that, please. Yeah, so I think that um, when you think about CrossFit in general, for every athlete under the sun from ping pong to golf to baseball to football to wrestling there the ability to create a general physical preparedness which is what crossfit in essence does creates a larger platform for adaptation towards sport meaning the more physically prepared i can be in general 
the better I can hone skills and specific adaptations to sports. Now, I think there are certain movement patterns for, in particular, let's talk about throwing sports mm-hmm. so or arm and shoulder involved sports like baseball, volleyball, uh, swimming. Tennis. Tennis is another one that uses the shoulder mm-hmm. and the hips, mainly hips first, then shoulder for locomotion. Um, I think that there are some things that we would do there to create a stronger foundation and maybe less wear and tear on those movement patterns. Um, but I think that within the framework of CrossFit, there is a very strong opportunity for baseball players to improve sheer athleticism. Now, full disclosure, Caleb has been one of my coaches before. I've been a member of his place for years until fairly recently, but we've had baseball-related CrossFit conversations yep. many times over the years. And you know, I had my hip replacement surgery. We all know that. And I've always told you I love doing exercises from the hang when I get the opportunity, like a hang snatch or a hang clean. And I would tell you, it reminds me of being a baseball player. Absolutely. About being short and quick and explosive. Yep. It, it sort of reminds me of throwing a ball across a diamond or swinging a baseball bat. Yep. 100%. So is that part of the application where it could be directly beneficial to this sport? Absolutely. So you take movement patterns that have a general, more athletic expression. Okay. And, and we do this at, well, when I owned CrossFit East Nashville, I'd say this all the time to our members, the more athletic and general adaptation or general application of a lift, in particular with a barbell, those dynamic lifts or the Olympic lifts are certainly from the hang. If you want to be really fit and reduce the overall risk of the movement and have a bigger application toward general athleticism, working from the hang, uh, it is is honestly and or doing the same with kettlebells, right? Anything that involves powerful hip extension, that has a transfer to ninety percent of athletic movements. If you think about the the big engine, the big driver of body movement, it is the hips. Anytime we can create fast, powerful extension of the hips, we have a direct transfer to almost every sport. When I first took a foundational class 10 or 11 years ago, a hip was the only thing they talked about. Yep. It was all about everything coming from the hips. So because of all this and your experience and background, when you see, I don't know, you're strolling through an Instagram feed and there's a, a high school football team or a middle school basketball team and there's highlights of them working out and it's all lat pull downs and it's all preacher curls yeah. and it's all, you know, it's all hammer strength stuff yep. and Sure, you can get strong, but yes. you're not necessarily going to get more athletic. When you see things like that at the youth level, what do you think? Uh, I think that they're missing an opportunity to create true athletic movement in relationship to time and space and your body. So, right, you take a hammer strength movement, take a hammer strength machine. Let's call let's even take the jammer, for instance which is kind of a a hip-based drive mechanism to overhead, to Mm -hmm. an overhead position. Are you creating explosiveness? Yes. Are you creating an opportunity to control the range of motion within an explosive movement? Not as much as you would with a clean and jerk, Mm -hmm. or not as much as you would with a kettlebell snatch, or even a med ball throw for that instance, right? If we wanted to take and do a rotational med ball throw, Anything that that locks in your plane or range of motion has the opportunity to reduce your general adaptation toward movement pattern. 
Um, I would much rather see a, a middle school kid learn to clean and jerk a barbell than sit down in a in a incline chest press right. hammer strength machine and get repetitions there for multiple reasons. With a clean and jerk, just by learning to move my body through large ranges of motion and learning to do it well, I've athleticism is already generally adapted and generally improving. So neuromuscular adaptation, which is learning how to move my body. If I remove the opportunity to learn my to to learn to move my body through time and space, I've not created that general adaptation toward athleticism. And we want to take, I mean, the same is true for learning to run ladders and hurdles and things like that. Mm -hmm. They are not bad, but they're, they're a tool in a toolbox. And so if you want to get faster, learn to produce more power. Box jumps. Correct. Right. If you want to get faster, learn to sprint and sprint well. But increasing power output has a direct, a more direct correlate to speed athleticism than learning to run set patterns through a ladder. Now, while they help coordinated movement, which is never a bad thing, at some point in time, you have to be willing to combine these efforts. Again, tools in a toolbox. If I've only got a wrench, then everything needs to be, you know, a bolt. But if I've got a hammer and a wrench and a sawzall and a, a, a litany of tools, then I can create an application that, that serves a much broader purpose. So bicep curls are going to give you pretty arms. They're not going to translate to power hitting a baseball necessarily. No, but they can add to protection of the elbow, okay. which, which may serve a purpose. So I don't think we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater necessarily, but it may create a new framework for how we look at accessory-based movements. Big movers first, so powerful, large ranges of motion. And then we can use those smaller movement patterns to create um, to create some better structural advantage toward doing big power. Accessory movements. work, yes. as you like to call it. Yep, accessory work. Okay. So let's move on to pitchers, because yep. they're the ones who are screaming right now at the at the at the speakers. Yes. Um the arm can be so <laughs> delicate. Yes. I mean, shoulder injuries are common and elbow injuries are common and forearm injuries are common. Um, there are probably a lot of pitching coaches out there who, who can't stand the idea of their pitchers doing heavy overhead movements yep. or cleaning jerks or, I mean, heaven forbid they saw someone doing butterfly pull-ups in your place or something like that. Sure. They, they, they're driving them bananas. Um, what do you say to them, pitchers? And just, we, it seems like these days, the more we can baby the arm, the better. Well, why do you think it keeps getting hurt? Probably because it's not strong and developed. Yeah, because it's not strong and developed. I think that there are ways to develop shoulder strength and stability through what, quote, scary ranges of motion or scary movement patterns for pitching coaches or even some baseball strength conditioning coaches uh, that would gasp at me saying this, and mm -hmm. I would certainly entertain a conversation. Handstand push-ups and all that mess. Yes. While I don't think all of those would completely and directly correlate to they're not necessary to get stronger, um, if you want a, sh a stronger shoulder, learn to stabilize something over your head. Whether that's starting slow with overhead walks and then advancing to strict presses, and then moving to push presses, which is hip to shoulder, mm -hmm. which, by the way, is a baseball pitch, right? Sure. Hip to shoulder, rotation to shoulder. So anywhere and any way that we can, and here's where varied comes in, comes back into play. 
I love varied, but not random. Varied. That's, it's, I have to interrupt. Yeah. One of my favorite CrossFit coaches, I belong to CrossFit Hyde Park in Tampa. Yep. Kyle Lighthizer, phenomenal guy uh, for, for Largo County, firefighter. Yep. I remember having exploratory conversations about CrossFit. And that's exactly what he said. Yeah, when I was asking about programming and I was interested in getting my own L1, he said, varied, not random. Yes, varied, and you just repeated it. Varied is not random. Varied does not mean random. You're not putting 100 workouts into a goldfish bowl and pulling one and out. pulling one out. Now, you should have adaptations that let you do that and succeed. However, in developing a strength conditioning program or a general physical preparedness program, which is what CrossFit is, in essence we can still create varied movements toward like progressions, right? So the ability to do three heavy presses should also translate to the ability to do 30 lighter presses mm -hmm. faster with the same mechanics. And so if you think about, I can't remember what CrossFit guy it was, but I mean, you take any any strength conditioning coach or any programmer worth their salt, they would agree with this mechanics, consistency, intensity, meaning movements instill good mechanics, consistency develops that mechanics over time, and then the intensity comes once the mechanics and the consistency are established. This should be true for pitchers, right? If we want to create a strong shoulder, have a varied approach toward establishing good mechanics across consistent approach toward varied levels of intensity. Mm -hmm. uh, and you do that well, and you <clears throat> create strong balance front and back side of the body, uh, rotational balance in the body, and you've created a really strong pitcher who not only whose opposite arm, non-throwing arm, can also be as strong as the throwing arm, mm -hmm. which creates better balance in the body toward general athletic. So theoretically, movements. you're saying you can potentially be on the path to throwing 90 miles an hour, but you've got to learn how to perfectly throw 60 miles an hour first. Yes. From a pitching perspective, absolutely. Yep. Okay. So the original household name for CrossFit was a gentleman named Rich Froning. Yep. So he won the CrossFit Games four years in a row, 2011 to 2014. He started CrossFit Mayhem, not too far away from here yep. in Cookville, Tennessee. It's kind of considered mecca for the sport. Absolutely. Um, I've been there myself. I got my L1 certification there. He was a baseball player in high school. Correct. He was a baseball player in college. Correct. What does it say to you that a former baseball player really became the first star of CrossFit? I think that it says that the the better an athlete you are in general the better athlete you can be specifically and okay. so and so if you think about what rich froning clearly athletic whether he played baseball or two hand touch football he's a good athlete mm -hmm. but he used this natural athletic prowess to create and and develop even more athleticism take the inverse of that and let's take someone who isn't naturally biased toward athleticism they are not naturally athletic do crossfit become a broader more athletic human 
and then take that adaptation or that new athleticism that you found through CrossFit and begin to apply it back to baseball. And so it's a, it's a circular argument. Was Rich Froning a good baseball player because he did CrossFit or did he do CrossFit because he was a good baseball player? Or however you want to look at that, mm-hmm. obviously great athlete growing up college, high school and college, and that translated into being able to develop as a good CrossFit athlete. I think that you can argue that if he'd done it the other way around, the same results would happen. Okay. A lot of people like to say that if you put a baseball player in a pickup basketball game, he'll perform just fine. Absolutely. If you put him on the football field, he'll perform just fine. Yep. But if you put a basketball player in the batting cage, that it's can a, get it's ugly. A, it's a very different story. Right. Yep. I think so too. Right. Skill driven versus athleticism. Versus athleticism. And I think that um, if you take a skilled athlete and again, increase their natural or even unnatural, right? It has to be a learned athletic prowess possibly. The ability to get better at your specific sport is much higher with a much broader general level of fitness and athleticism. Very interesting. So when I was in high school, pre-internet, let's put let's call it that way, be a little <laughs> ambiguous. <laughs> you um, me both, man. We were told that you only lift weights in the off season. Sure. And once baseball season starts, you didn't go anywhere near the weight room. It was just a line of delineation. You didn't cross it. Um, we've come a long way since then, yeah. our knowledge of the body, of course. But for baseball players specifically, how do you think training in the gym should look like both offseason and during season? Well, I think offseason is a great time to have a much more aggressive program toward building strength and power and general conditioning right? Mm -hmm. I think in-season is an opportunity to have a maintenance phase, meaning there's no point in working hard in an off-season to make progress, only to to full stop, and you're essentially restarting every single off-season at trying to get... Why wouldn't you want to make more exponential progress in an off season and then see incremental, at least incremental maintenance or and, and hopefully incremental progress in season. So long as it doesn't detract from what you are playing in your sport. So for baseball, as long as I am still performing well at my position, I'm still feeling recovered and ready to go for games. I am hitting the ball, fielding the ball, pitching well, whatever the case may be, as long as you are continuing to perform those, uh, those roles at the same capacity that you're expected to, and hopefully at a, at a gaining capacity throughout the season, and able to maintain the strength and power and preparedness that you have worked for in the offseason, I absolutely think that it's ludicrous to not do that during the season. Is it as simple as, okay, go heavy in December, but you know what, do the same stuff, but half the weight in March? So I think that, I think that you're pro- programmatically, it could look a little different. I, I think that um, a maintenance program could be a little bit more general, a little, maybe even a fewer days a week, looking at taking um, and doing much more cyclical based work. So supersets, one, two, and three movements done in a circuit that create the opportunity for, um, for growth and for maintenance, not necessarily huge bouts of progress. So let's say you're, you're heavy deadlifting in the off season. I think that we want to maintain the mechanism of the movement pattern. So that could look lighter and, and more reps, um, 
that could also look like we've now combined a number of movements in a circuit where the the stressed adaptation is higher which lets us reduce the overall volume performed on one singular movement because we're doing it and taxing the body of the system in multiple movements per session. Look, I've been doing this stuff 10 or 11 years. I think CrossFit is the, the fountain of youth, but even this, that conversation with you is incredibly educational for someone like me. Uh, so let's spin it forward to a little more baseball specific and even yep. you specific. So sure. your boy Amos, he's proven to be a pretty talented baseball player. Um, at the rec level, um, despite you not really being a baseball guy mm-hmm. after junior high or so, uh, you've helped coach his teams. You've been heavily involved. Yep. What has your experience been like for him to sort of find this path? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of fun. So my wife was also a high level softball player. Uh, we've loved the game of baseball. I mean, I've loved it my whole life. Even, even after I quit in high school to focus on wrestling, it was something that I still like would love to go out and play with buddies and throw. And um, it, it is so fun getting to watch your kid find something that he truly is passionate about and totally agree. And move his energies toward getting better, right? Uh, so for Christmas a couple years ago, he asked for a tee and a net, right? And we didn't have to tell him to go out in the backyard and practice. He just goes out on his own and he sets the tee up and he works on his swing. Um, he'll go throw into the pitch back on his own. Uh, so, so finding things that make your kid tick and watching him take it and run with it and, and make decisions that lead him to opportunities to get better. Um, he asked and approached us about wanting to come play for the Redbirds. Uh, it wasn't something we asked him to do. So, I like it. so we've had, a. a it's certainly not a hands-off approach towards sports. Um, the way Katie and I, my wife, talk about it is we want to provide you with every opportunity for you to make the decisions to get better and improve on your own. And seeing him do that with baseball has been so much fun. And now he asks me, hey, Dad, what are some things we can do in the garage to make me stronger for baseball? <laughs> Um, you know, so Amos can swing a kettlebell with the best of them. I bet. Uh, Amos can, can hit pull-ups and push-ups with the best of them. Uh, we have him doing box jumps regularly, <laughs> uh, doing some rotational things, right, for, for, with med balls. I used to love those old med ball throws. Dude. And, and that it, just felt like baseball it practice. It feels like baseball practice. And mm-hmm. he's already passionate about baseball. Mm-hmm. So the more that we can make the, the – the, the, it's now the garage, but the weight room feel like <laughs> baseball – uh, the more willing he is to dive in there and put in hard work. And now we have my five-year-old daughter who's just watching us, and when he's done, she's like, okay, my turn, Dad. Sounds uh, like winning. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and so getting to watch your kids find something they love and dive headfirst into wanting to improve. And, and again, I have zero expectations for Amos going and being a pro ball player. But the ability to learn to work hard toward a goal supersedes and transcends everything that we do in life, right? Uh, Whether that's, you know, he wants to be a business owner one day, learning how to work hard towards something to achieve a goal translates to everything in life for being successful. Our last serious question for you. Amos is now part of our team. Yep. This is Travel Ball. Yep. A little more serious, a lot more competitive, definitely more of a commitment, and not only for him, but for you. Yeah but for his mom, Katie, and even his sister, Winnie. Um, 
a lot of parents and players out there are grappling with this decision as we speak. Yeah. So how do you think this is going to be like for you guys? Well, it's, I mean, it's already increased the amount of travel we do, you know, just coming to, coming to some little, uh, workouts here and there. Um, I think that the joy of becoming a parent is that you learn what it means to deny yourself just a little bit. Okay. I agree with that. Um, and I think that that is for, for our family personally, and it's a fine line between creating an entitlement attitude with your child that you lay down everything for the sake of them, but simultaneously creating opportunities for your children to succeed in life. And so it's this balancing act between we want our child to have opportunities provided for him to succeed, yet simultaneously he needs to know and needs to understand that we work very hard to create those opportunities. And so that's a balancing act for Katie and I. Um, but there's nothing that I find more joy in doing than creating opportunities for my kids to succeed. Um, obviously within reason. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, we also have those very candid conversations. It's opened up so many opportunities of conversation with Amos too about, hey, this is a bigger commitment. With bigger commitment on our behalf, we're hoping and looking for you to make a bigger commitment on your behalf. And so this, this opportunity to tell him that not only is this a greater commitment for us, but we want you to take this more serious because it's a bigger commitment for you. Um, and so we, we get to work together uh, as parent and child in taking this next step with baseball. I really look forward to continue working with him. I, I think it's going to be smashingly successful. I, I, I can't wait. Well, we're excited. Let, let's go ahead and play nine innings. This is a game we do with all of our guests. Nine very simple questions, but usually very different answers. Question number one, your favorite baseball team as a kid? Atlanta Braves. That's the answer for most people who grew up anywhere near the Southeast. <laughs> it's either them or the Cardinals. Yeah. Your favorite <laughs> player as a kid? Question number two. I love John Smoltz. Mm-hmm. Uh, easy to like. I about to say easy to like. Great pitcher. Uh, part of an era of the Braves that you know, just a phenomenal, a phenomenal guy to watch. And he's um, almost a one of uh, one with the success he had as a starter and, and as a closer. And as a closer, Unreal. yes. I was about to say success on both sides. Yeah, there's that. guys yeah. who've you know semi failed starters who become closers, but you're rarely a Hall of Fame caliber of both. Yeah, playing both. Yes. Unreal. Question number three, very important for me. Your favorite baseball movie. Field of Dreams. Very good answer. Sentimental, but... You, you get a little bit of the best of both worlds. Yeah. <laughs> I watched that one with my kids last year and yeah, got choked up once or twice. Yes, That's an experience in itself. Question number four, what is your favorite sound at a ballpark? The crack of the bat, man. Easy answer. The crack of the bat. Very good one. You can hear it from the, from the high seats. You can hear it from behind the plate. That mm -hmm. crack of the bat, it rings. Unmistakable. Question number five, probably have to think a little harder. What is your favorite smell at the ballpark? You're a very fit guy. You work in the I, fitness I, world. You are not afraid <laughs> of some greasy food, though. I know that. Let's say it's either I love the smell of popcorn, but there's nothing like a roller hot dog. Smell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're talking to a Chicago guy. Yeah, dogs at Comiskey back in the day. Uh, yeah, I a agree. Good roller dog. Mm -hmm. Okay. This can be either when you were playing or if you were playing in a baseball game today. Okay. What is your walk-up song coming out of the dugout? 
So I love this song by the Avett Brothers called Hard Worker. Mm-hmm. And it goes, I'm a hard, hard worker every day. Because I wasn't always the most talented kid, but mm-hmm. I promise you I'd outwork anybody in the room. So I'd want to, I'd wanna, you know, set the, set the record straight that you're probably not going to get, you know, Mr. Bad Mama Jam up to play, but you're going to get the hardest worker in the room. <laughs> that seems like a very good answer. Sturgill Simpson was going to be my guest, probably on your short list, but that's a good one too. I do like some Sturgill, maybe Tyler Childers, but we'll go Avett Brothers on that one. Okay. Tell me about a game when you were the hero. This could be T-ball. This could be playing for your school. I, I know your baseball career was abbreviated in comparison to a lot of our guests, but tell me about a game in particular Man, where I you re- were the man. Yeah, I remember uh, when our little league started its first fall ball season. Uh, so it, I was, I guess I was thir- 12 or 13. So either just moved into 13-year-old league or was coming out of little league 9 to 12, and it was the fall before that spring season. Um, and I can't remember who it was, but, but it was a big guy who we all knew roped a baseball. Uh, he had one or two runners on. I can't remember if it was somebody at first and second. I think it was somebody at first and second Mm -hmm. and, uh, smashed one off the top of the fence. It came back in fair play. And, uh, from the fence, I still don't know how I did it. (laughs) I still don't know where this magic in my body came from. But uh, beelined one from deep center field to the plate for a tag out to get the lead runner. And for some reason, of all the baseball plays that I caught, I've hardly ever played center field. But for some reason, I got stuck in center field that night. And uh, probably because I was one of the faster kids on the team. But uh, made a just a on-a-line throw from deep center field for the lead runner at the plate uh, off of this big smash hit. <laughs> Outstanding. And so, yeah, that's it. Flip side of that coin. We Third tend out, to, by the way. Yeah, we tend to remember these things more for some reason. Tell me about a game when you were the chump. Oh, geez. We've all got it. <laughs> um, so I d- there may have been more than one. My 13-year-old league season, so I was what you would call a bit of a late bloomer, John, meaning okay. I was always a small kid. But like at 13, I started to hit this little bit of a growth spurt. So where most boys... That's about when I hit mine. Hit like this awkward stage from like 9 to 11. Mm-hmm. Mine came much later. And so while all, I was the the other, same way. while all the other kids had advanced in like their ability to just move their body, I became like this weird, like small but kind of chubby, slow, weird mover. Um, I remember <laughs> just multiple multiple games in a row where uh, I went over at the plate for three or four at-bats, um, missed tons of throws down to second, just getting stolen on all the time, overthrowing first on throw downs uh, or pickoff plays. Just this really, honestly, my entire th- – and that was the last season I played baseball too, by the mm. way. Um, just the enti- my entire 13-year-old league season – it was either the best game of my life or three games in a row where it was like, have you ever even seen a baseball? Um, that was, I remember that being such an awkward, awkward season hmm. uh, of play. And, and really, I think that had a lot to do with me. That was the birth of Caleb I, the wrestling. I, I think that was the birth of <laughs> I'm ni- 90 pounds and I need a weight class sport. <laughs> Good point. Caleb the wrestler was born. That's it, man.
All right, last question. If it weren't for the game of baseball. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. Yep. Fill in the blank. If it weren't for the game of baseball, America would have no great pastime. That is a wonderful answer. I, I feel like I'm one of the few people who's carrying that flag that baseball is still America's pastime. Man, it, it better be. It, it may not be, be as popular as the NFL is these days, but... Name a sport where you can... Where it doesn't matter who's playing, you can get behind every single thing that happens on that field and be excited about it mm -hmm. and be amazed by it. Mm -hmm. um, I think we've come to expect a lot of things out of football or basketball, but baseball has that time-honored tradition of getting to understand a game quicker, A, and getting to relate to uh, who's on the field a little bit more. Fathers and sons, yep. too. Yep. I think of fathers and sons. That yep. makes a big deal to me. Yep. Caleb, I say this with all sincerity. Um, I was a member of your gym back when I had my surgery, my hip replacement, which I mentioned. Um, I was 46 years old. I was riding a stationary bike within a week. I was doing an overhead, overhead squat with a barbell within a month, and I was doing muscle-ups again in a quarter. Yeah. And I give a lot of that credit to you and Katie taking extraordinarily good care of me. And I know that I feel sensational now. I'm even going to start thinking about maybe playing a little baseball again myself, some That's little awesome. Sandlot stuff. I got an invite last weekend. Um, I feel fantastic at 48 <clears throat> coming out of the other end of that surgery. But I give you and your wife a lot of credit and your business, and I, I'm very appreciative. Well, thanks, man. It's an honor to get to be to play that part in your life and, and countless others. Hey, thanks for doing this, and I'm really looking forward to the season. Yeah, thanks, man. Me too. The Clueless Joe podcast is brought to you by Pro9 Sports, committed to providing high-quality, precision baseball and softball products to help players perform their best on the field. A family-owned and operated business since 2001, offering a wide range of products including game and practice balls, protective gear, team and player bags, umpire equipment, and much more. Here at the Nashville location, we use private label D-Bat baseballs and softballs produced by Pro9 in our pitching machines and lesson buckets. These balls are durable, long-lasting, and made with quality materials to replicate your game experience. Pro9 equipment is made to precise specifications and designed to provide a better way to play. To learn more, go to Pro9.com or visit your local DBAT. Everyone's favorite game here on the Clueless Joe podcast, three up and three down. I'm going to ask three questions. The guys do not know what's coming, so they have to answer in a flash. Question number one, granted, we're going back to the well on this topic. Luisa Rise is down to 356 for his batting average. The run to 400 is officially over. Does he at least hold on to win the batting title? Ronald Acuna Jr., 333. Freddie Freeman, 332. We still got 35 Acuna's games to go. higher than Freddie Day. He's been raking. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say I'll take it. Go ahead, Sarah. Nope. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> you nope. think Freddie's going to bust through and win it all, don't you? Uh, I don't want him. I don't. I don't think he's. I don't know. I think Acuna is just. I think this is one of those things where they've talked about him so much throughout the year that they have to give it to him. Mm -hmm. Like no one talks about Freddie Freeman. Not enough. That's why. Like it's just like it's whoever I feel like is the most flashy. Who well, do you think not, is better? No, we're not talking MVP. Oh, we're talking baseball player. Time. Yeah, Freddie Freeman. Really? Yeah. I'm talking specifically a batting time. A better hitter is Freddie Freeman. Freddie yeah, I was yeah, batting time. Overall player, uh, Acuna. I was also say no. I don't think that. You don't I think, think Arise is going to hold on? I think he'll just keep going. 
I mean, at this point of the season, he would have to finish at about a 250 clip, and Freeman or Acuna might have to finish at about 400 plus. And they will. The batting title. One of them will. One of them will. The batting title is what? Just average? Average. Highest batting average. Oh. Highest batting average. I I think he holds on. I think he holds on too. But can we just talk about how it's not impressive no, at all it's if, not. if he wins at batting 330? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, I admittedly thought it was going to be closer to 375. Yeah, it, probably yeah. not going to How many it. home runs does he have? Like five, not many. Five, four or five. Like five. He hasn't yeah. hit one since he hit for the cycle. It's crazy. Yeah, not many. Uh, Question number two. Who currently leads the majors in ERA? As a starter? Sam? As a starter. You have to qualify with a certain amount of in- innings. Well, when you go into the qualifying thing, I'm, like, I'm thinking of someone who maybe like hit that one. I mean, I know that Blake Snell is number one on MLB. Blake Snell is correct. 2.73. Who is second on the list? I feel like it... Very anonymous uh, is why I'm doing this. The Gosman? There's only one yeah. other starter in all of baseball who's sub three right now. Really? Mm-hmm. What's the D-backs guy's name? Is it is Gonsolin? not Zach Gallon. Gallon. That's what Can you tell me NL or AL? National League. Contending team. Ooh. Left-handed. Oh, Clayton Steel. Kershaw. Justin Steele, Chicago Cubs. He yeah. is at 2.80. Garrett Cole is third at 3.03. Kyle Bradish from the O's is Shoving. at 3.03. And Shoving. Zach Gallen is at 3.11. That's your top five in all of Major League Baseball. So I guess the question is, who finishes the year leading the majors in ERA? Snell. Only two guys sub three. I mean, Snell's feeling it. He was, he went Such, last night. He, he got, was he average. Got, he got hit. He was Such average. a bad beat though for Snell mm-hmm. and the Padres. Yeah, Snell. Yeah, Snell. Yeah, he's Snell probably probably. His record's like seven and six, by the way, in leading the majors in the ERA. I mean, if if Strider can finish with a mid three ERA, he's going to win the Cy Young. It's not like it matters, which is tough. Yeah, but I mean, you're right about Bradish though. He's gross. last couple times out, he's, he's been he's really really good, really good, really good. I think Blake Snell probably holds on, but. Well, how close is it? He's at two seven three. Justin Steele's at two eight zero. Oh, so he pitched well as last year. And Steele has more to pitch for. That is kind of an interesting. How many list. more starts are these guys going to have? Six, six, seven. Yeah, Strider. Fifteen. I mean, Snell will probably <laughs> hold on. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Pitcher friendly ballpark. Pitching for a contract as well, I believe. Yeah, but it's interesting without like. But only two guys in the whole league sub three. But. Just obviously Kershaw has been hurt, but without well, like names like Kershaw, Verlander, Scherzer, those guys are not. Yeah, Kershaw doesn't qualify, doesn't have the innings. Are he's we been on shocked the that the ERAs are higher? We've spent the last five years how to make it easier on the hitters. Yeah, yeah, it's true. We reduce the balls. We've increased the you know the pitch clock. No shifts. No shifts. It's definitely yeah. more hitter friendly. Yeah. Question number sure. three, Sammy. Lots of A's talk here. You'll love it. Cool. Who wants to take a guess in what the team batting average is for the Oakland A's? Spoiler alert, it's dead last in the league. Uh, team I, you batting know average. I, 213. I feel like I just saw this on Twitter, and I think you are. I think, is it 221? Close. RG? 218. It's 224. Oh, team batting average for the Oakland it. A's. That's crazy. Who God. wants to guess what their bad? team ERA is? <laughs> oh, it's like a... Which yeah. is also dead last in baseball. They have team a, ERA. Uh, this, I, I know that the starters ERA is like a 6-8, but I know that they have some pin guys that are pitching well, so I'm going to say it's it's either... It's between 5.8 and 6.1. <laughs> I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Go with Incorrect, but close. God. 
let's say Boy, maybe a seven, do I five, know my seven, guys. five, seven, five, seven, five. No, I don't know. Know. Like like soft they would, they wouldn't win a game. <laughs> I don't know. I don't the Oakland A is currently 36 and 90, by the way, okay, five, 5.6. I'll say f- five. Wait, what was your, I said 5.6. I'll stick with that. Okay. I'll say 5.5, 5.78. Team ERA and some of the pitching numbers for the A's are just absolutely brutal. That's crazy. I'm looking at it right they now. They have good relievers, though. That's the that's the crazy thing. They have some dudes in the pen that are worthwhile. <laughs> I'm trying to look at the. Give me a second. The pitching numbers. Here. Okay, this this is what's terrifying. So the opposing OPS for the A's when they're on the road. Oh, you know, the Coliseum is still considered somewhat of a pitching friendly ballpark, but when the O's, I'm sorry, the A's are on the road. The opponent's OPS is 872 oh, I was about for the to season. Say 850 and above. 872, which is all-star caliber for a single player. That's wild. Absolutely unreal. 769 at home, 872 on the road. They have That's one starter. That's how bad their pitching <laughs> They have one guy. <laughs> He's only made like 10 starts this year. Dude, oh what God. a bummer. 36 and 90 for your Oakland A's. 36 and 90. What are the Royals? Are you looking at that? Only a couple games better. They're about Let's four go. games up. What's there? Can do Come you on. have team ERA that you can pull up quickly yeah, for the Royals? Not super. That's got to be pretty close because your guys' starters dude, are trash. They're, they're pretty bad, dude. Your starting so staff. Bad. They are pretty awesome. bad. It's abysmal. I feel bad. You for got Granky. Dude, I feel bad for Jordan Lyles. I feel like he's yeah, good. Yeah, dude. Granky is still in there. The so Royals are hitting two forty three as a team. Okay, let's go. Much much better. Their team ERA, 518. I mean, it's better, but still pretty bad. Yeah, the A's, not not only 36 and 90. I don't know what a team ERA is. My bad. But just generically, they're the worst hitting team in the majors and the worst pitching team in the majors. They're that bad. I'm surprised they've won 36 games, to be honest. Go A's. Go A's. All right, Zach, what are you attacking this week? What do you have for us? Um... No, I'm not going to bring up the Cuba coach that went missing because I don't know <laughs> if he's actually missing or if he defected. But if he defected, shout out to him. Yeah. Um. No, I'm going to have to go with the White Sox train wreck that is going on right now. It is bad. It's it is bad. Owner Jerry Reinsdorf just pink slipped Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn, president and GM. Both of them have been with the organization for eons, and both of them were considered basically bulletproof. So this is a seismic move on the south side and of Chicago. The just the just the even like the breath of possibly relocating that team just blows my mind. I don't think you can. That has been that. floated as well. Yeah. Yes. Just, but no. Ever since the whole Tim Anderson thing, it's just been a. I would rather be just as a sports fan, or as a, a baseball fan. I'd rather see my team in the dumpsters like the Royals instead of the White Sox. John, no offense, but none taken. That's a. It's just an ugly. It's a tough scene. It's scene a tough right scene on the south side. It, it really there's, is. there's six seasons left on the lease at Guaranteed Rate Field. It's time to start wondering if that's the future home. Some people have talked about maybe they take over Soldier Field with the Bears move out to Arlington Heights. They could mm. do something along the lake, but now it's going to come the relocation talk as well. Because back in about 1990, that got floated, and maybe they'll move to St. Pete, and Nashville. that's and that's how they helped get that ballpark. 
out of Old Comiskey Park. And now is this just another long-term play to pilfer more money from Chicago pa- taxpayers or is it legit maybe Nashville's on the radar? Is he going to sell the team? I thought I saw he was he was threatening that, or not threatening, but... The chairman, Mr. Reinsdorf, is 86 years old. Yeah. His kids are much more into the Bulls than the Sox because he owns both. Um, I think there is some... There is some scuttlebutt that the team could be sold. Apparently, they are buying buying up some of the smaller minority stakes, uh, giving them cash now uh, to potentially inflate their own worth for when a sale could happen. Gotcha. And that's why I still play the lottery when the number gets north of five six hundred million. Yeah, you never know. I tell Andrea that <laughs> they had the huge one like a couple of weeks ago, one point five billion. I I probably bought. 100 bucks worth of tickets over a couple of weeks. And I told her, oh if we win, we're buying the White Sox, just so you know. Oh, That's what the money's earmarked for, period. It's fair. It's fair. There you go. <laughs> you almost won, too, I bet. I got one number right. I think I, got four, I think I got four bucks back. How excited would you be if they came to Nashville? You know what? I, I have asked myself that question, and um, I don't have a great answer. Okay. I, would not, I actually would not feel good about it. Really? I would not. If my team just relocated here, I mean, what are the odds that they keep the name yeah. and they keep the uniform? And I think the identity of the <laughs> they team would wouldn't. Be lost. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Neither exactly. Of those things. Yeah. I mean, great. No. You don't have like Chicago in your logos. So that's Why did good. you like, not just pick the Cubs, John? The team that they actually <laughs> care about. In Chicago? I mean, what? I mean, what do we got? Why? Do, why? Because why, what? when I was a child living in Chicago, just tell and, me that it was your first game that you went to. It was my first game. Okay, okay why yeah. couldn't your second right. game have been Wrigley? <laughs> Ask my dad. My dad. <laughs> you could choose yeah. between the two. I mean, because like, my dad was cheap. <laughs> okay, and it was so, easier to go to old school commission. I'll, I'll tell you what, man. It's just not too late to say you like the Cubs. <laughs> it's not. Way too late. It's not. Die you don't have to fly cast. the W. You just... <laughs> no, no, back in 1980, when I was first becoming a baseball fan, the White Sox were on Channel U every day. I would watch. I would listen. Playing in the dump, man. Harry Carey just get was a, on just the Just get a Cubs side. hat and throw it on for a day and see how you feel. <laughs> just be a green it's, it's, way, it's way better colors. <laughs> like, not going to happen. Baby steps. They have, they have ivy on the outfield wall. Like, that's cool. <laughs> Good guys wear black. Good guys wear black. God. Enough of my tears. Ryan, what are you crying about this week? All right, we're going to go through some numbers here. Oh, here we're we going go through some numbers. Here okay, we go. Okay. In, his, in his four years as an angel, oh, Anthony Rendon has oh. earned blank not playing baseball. Somebody take a guess. Oh, I, I oh. saw this recently for Giancarlo Stanton. Oh. So how much money he's earned in games he did not play. To not play baseball. That's the answer. 140? 130? No. Not that much. No. 118. Below a hundred. Oh, well, that's not to okay. not play to not play baseball. Okay, so he's he, four years, Sam. He signed for about what twenty five million a year. So there's a hundred. He's played maybe a third of the games. I'm going to say sixty five million dollars. Seventy one million dollars to not play. To not play. Guaranteed contract. This year, dream. this year he's missing one hundred nineteen games. Assuming that he's out the rest of the year. He is earning $28 million. And how about the fact that when he does play, he's no longer good? Oh, he stinks. Has no power. Dude, he is living. Uh, I have. His last year with the Nationals, he was unreal. I'll tell you what. Yeah. uh, Potential MVP. Yeah. (laughs) I I know some Rice guys, and they have always said that he hates baseball. He just does it because he's really good. He's just good at it. And he makes money. He shows it. And I think that's what. He definitely shows. Yeah. Dude. So he is not motivated to come back and play well, you're saying? No. Why would you? Not after that contract. Yeah. 
He's on that Barry Could you Zito. imagine? Like 120 games, yeah, I'm hurt. And you're making almost $30 million. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first person <sighs> I know is... He have left? God bless the MLBPA. Uh, he signed... What did he sign for? Eight or nine years? I don't remember the... I don't think it was that long. I think it was... Seven, maybe? Seven. I think it was seven. Yeah. So he's got three more years. But honestly, he might he might retire early. If he does actually have bone bleeding... He won't retire. He, if he has bone bleeding, he they he might retire. If you retire, you forfeit money. They might buy him out. He'll get every nickel. He'll get every He'll nickel. He'll get every uh, nickel, Mr. Marino. Sorry. Every nickel. Good signing. Brutal. Yeah, I just thought that was a fun number. Dang, it's a good one. He's making $39 million in the next four years. That's tight. <laughs> oh, he's so living the dream. So yeah. Yeah. You, can't, you cannot. I mean, being an Angels fan, you'd be upset. But I, his play, man, Dude, doing he, it. He is on Finesse. the playa. I'm, I'm he last. is on the beach just drinking Coronas. I'm last in that contract for <laughs> yeah. sure. All right, Sam, what do we have money. for uh, Redbirds report this week? I know we're still kind of in between. John, what do you have for a Redbirds report? <laughs> what do I have for yeah. a Redbirds report? I have these kids in lessons. They're great. Everyone's, well, that's, everyone's making adjustments. Every, I think they're, it's like they're, I think from what I'm seeing, they're going to be good. Well, I think that's something we can talk about is how many of these kids have, have committed to doing lessons. Almost like to see a lot. Almost just all, about all. Almost of them. all of them. I want to give a shout out to an ex player that just booked some lessons, old Teddy Bomb. Teddy Ball what? back in the building. Yeah. Teddy's stepping back in. Back. Stepping back. Nice. I'm, about yeah. to, I'm about to ruin that story. <laughs> <laughs> right, no, so you, Teddy. So Let me show you the new your, way. So you fastball, you're going to grip it with your entire hand oh, and all then turn it over. <laughs> all right. Well, we've been doing little casual workouts on Sundays, and I've been leading those. And I had the kids out at Elmonton Park this past Sunday. We just did defense for hour, hour and a half. And, um, I think the floor has been elevated. I think that we have a lot of versatile kids. We have some good athletes, but you know what? This kid makes a little sense of first base. I think this kid can go chase in the outfield, but I think it's just the genuine love of baseball and appreciation for the work it takes to be good. I think that has been elevated and that's only going to be good things. And from what I've seen, some kids actually want to play the outfield. Yeah. yeah. That was definitely an issue we had this past season. Yep. P- people looked at the outfield as some sort of slap in the face or demotion or you know what? We need you out there. We need yeah. you. Kids can put it in play. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling good. Like it. Go birds. Go birds. Yeah. <laughs> That'll do it for the Clueless Joe podcast powered by Rawlings. Thank you to Zach Schreitenthal. Andy Reid Option, baby. <laughs> Rebrand, we're rebranding. We're going for it all this year. And Ryan Gaynor. I don't remember my name, but Not love you guys. And Sam Bragg. Go, Anthony Rendon. Very special thank you to Caleb Gregory. Thank you to our sponsors, Tanner Tees and Pro9 Sports. Thank you to our music man, Philip Kramer. And thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can follow us on social media across all platforms at DBAT Nashville.